Welcome to this special edition of How CMOs Commit podcast, the podcast where we convene many of the world's top CMOs to discuss the commitments they are making as leaders. This episode was recorded live for CMO Huddles Studio. I was invited to host a session on connecting brand and revenue. Thank you to Drew Neiser and CMO Huddle Studio for the invitation. Welcome to CMO Huddle Studio. What an honor to be the guest host here today. As Drew mentioned, I'm Margaret Malloy, the global CMO of Siegel and Gale. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most misunderstood topics in B2B, one of the topics that draws so much passion from CMOs, and one of my personal favorite topics. And I'll tell you why it's my favorite. Because as Drew mentioned, and as I've observed, the CMOs who get this right build organizations, build brands, and build careers. Today, we are talking about connecting brand to revenue. And to do so, we are joined by three hand-picked CMOs from Drew's universe of CMO huddlers who have thought deeply about this topic and, importantly, acted decisively on it. So let's begin. First up, we are welcoming Kristen Russell, the CMO of Simpler, previously starred on this show, and Lauren and Melissa will put up the link to the previous episode where she had a very good discussion around acquisition. So, so tell us more. Where are you joining from? Give us a tiny overview of Simpler, and then let's get right into how you think about brand. Absolutely. Well, first of all, Margaret, it is great to be here today. I am joining from sunny California. I'm up here in Northern California. I think you're actually going to hear that trend from a couple of the guests today. Ironically, we all know each other, but we'll get in. I'm sure we'll get into that later. Let me tell you about me and Simpler. I am the chief marketing officer at Simpler and Simpler really is focused on hospitals and health systems, how we can optimize their back office technology. We do that in a way that allows the caregivers ultimately to focus on care and have more time with their patients, while we focus firmly on software solutions for everything from you know, staffing and scheduling, the data that's required to manage all of the providers, things like the credentialing of physicians. You want to make sure that the physician taking care of you actually has an MD. We help hospitals manage things like spend, compliance, regulations, quality, and safety standards. When we do, as we do that, um, we actually ultimately can help our customers reduce how much time they spend managing their contracts by up to 60%. We see things like our customers reducing potential penalties by 90%, and we'll help customers reduce the time spent being reimbursed by up to 75%. Uh, The other thing I'll say about Simpler is that we have, over the, the last few years, brought a number of disparate companies together under one larger, simpler umbrella. As we bring all that technology together, really to manage the back office administration of hospitals, all those solutions had previously existed independently. So you can imagine that our hospital customers, the CIOs, the CFOs, 
are interested in the fact that they can now work with one enterprise vendor to manage all mm -hmm. of those different systems. In fact, we even had to create a category uh, rather than just referring to ourselves as a healthcare technology vendor. We created a whole category called healthcare operations for the work that we do. So certainly creating a category is a big endeavor and requires a lot of internal alignment as well. So talk to us first about what was the overall perception of brand when you arrived? Where is it now? And what are the strategies important for our audience to hear that they can generalize? So we're trying to get from this the generalizable lessons for all the audience. So brand and simpler. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm biased. Uh, you know, I think the perception of simpler has always been strong. It's just that we've increased visibility and the people who know about us. So we've invested in growing our brand recognition and our thought leadership. And so as a result of that, we're number one in our voice of industry now for the past five quarters running. When I started, uh, there were a couple of challenges. And these apply, whether you're in healthcare or technology, golly, telecommunications, any industry, you can appreciate the, some of these challenges. One, we had just launched a new simpler brand, but because much of our growth had come through acquisition of the brands that we acquired, many of those brands were better known than simpler. So that was a huge challenge. Number two, the core brand of simpler that we were tying everything to was really well known in a category called credentialing, but we wanted that category to be much bigger. We wanted people to know us for much more than credentialing. We were doing a lot more than just that. And finally, as I mentioned, we had to create a cat. We had to create a space or a way to talk about ourselves that would help resonate with our customers. So ultimately, you know, that's a category creation. So you can imagine we're looking in a situation where you're kind of building the plane as you're flying it. We're quickly building equity in simpler. So over the last two years, we needed to help our customers understand that the product or products that they owned that were previously part of another company or another brand were now all part of Simpler. And because they were part of this one large enterprise vendor and we were investing heavily in development, they could now start to expect standardization in terms of product usage or even connected workflows. And of course, we had to do that all while building this category for healthcare operations. Ultimately, the plan came together we now have actually good and bad. We now have category entrance in this healthcare operations category kind of nipping at our heels, but I can tell you the brand is strong and only getting stronger. And what are the tactics you employ to get there? So it sounds like you had a great foundation, meaning companies were coming together. You now had a robust solution. You identified where that solution has played and its relevance to your target audience. What did you do to build brand as distinct from the more classic demand generation? And a kind of a footnote, do you draw that distinction between lead gen demand programs and brand building activities? That's an excellent question. Do we draw the distinction? We, uh, yes and no. So we look at it holistically and then we also look at the individual parts. So connecting brand to performance was really, really critical for me, being able to apply metrics to how we were doing kind of the, the John Doerr approach of measure what matters. So we wanted to basically find a way to really understand how our brand performance was impacting revenue. We measure our overall return on our marketing investment. When I say overall, I'm talking about everything from the program spend, technology, and people. But we also were measuring things like our program investment. And so 
from a growth perspective, growth marketing, we absolutely spend a lot of time looking kind of across the board at our metrics. And we do that so we can lean into those areas that are returning value. We've made a myriad of investments as well that have borne fruit for simpler and some that haven't. Of course, the obvious link with brand and revenue marketing or growth marketing is, is really um, critical for us. We've invested in things like uh, thought leadership survey, you know, where we are going out and we're asking our customers for insights that we're able to then share broadly. Um, that work was picked up by Fast Company, you know, a number of Fortune, a number of major periodicals. We've even taken some old school tactics. So even as much as we're focused on kind of the account-based approach to investing in paid social and SEM, driving awareness at the top of funnel, and then continuing to engage with those accounts that are showing the most interest, we're also really doing some kind of sports marketing stuff. You know, the things that maybe we're a little bit, I don't know, are, are we still doing this? But we compete with giants. So, you know, two, and remember two years ago, we were relatively unknown. So we're competing with folks like Workday, Oracle, GE mm-hmm. in their healthcare divisions. So driving broad awareness was really important for us. And we, we do that at industry events. We do it through our outreach. But like I said, we're also, we invest in sports marketing. We recently, um, we have a lot of our customers are hospital CIOs and CFOs who enjoy golf. And like so many of the brands I just mentioned, we sponsor a golf team. And one of our team's simpler golfers just won this last weekend, the John Deere Classic. Those of you that don't play golf, it's just a really big tournament um, with a lot of eyeballs. So we ended up with millions of eyeballs on our brand on the t-shirt that he was wearing, which you can imagine sent just unprecedented traffic to the website. All that to say, when I think about, you know, kind of connecting brand to performance and how we do it at Simpler, part of that is in my job description. So I am responsible for 30% of the pipeline. Ultimately, 30% of the opportunities that we close at Simpler are direct marketing generated. So we really do have to make sure that every single thing that we're doing is generating revenue as well as a return on those marketing dollars. Got it. Very interesting exploration of the tactics as well. Thanks for that, Kristen. We'll come back to you once we've met the other two. You are definitely prompting a host of questions in my mind and no doubt in the mind of our audience as well. So next up, we meet our friend Shandar Patabaram, CMO of Coupa. So where are you today, Shandar? Margaret, great to speak to you again. Um, I'm typically in the Bay Area in California, but today I'm on the other side of the seven seas. I'm actually in Chennai, India. It's about uh, it's about 10, 9, 45 p.m. here tonight. So uh, it's great to join you from the other side of the world. Certainly. Well, hello from New York. I'm in New York. So already we have lots of regional representation. So tell us a bit about Coupa. I know you're a cloud platform solution, but perhaps spend most of your time talking about your perspective on brand and building brand. I should annotate here that my understanding is, have you been perhaps six years or so at that organization? So you have, you know, quite a bit of time horizon to reflect on the learnings. Yeah, great, Margaret. Yes. So very quickly, you know, the Twitter headline I'll give for Coupa, and then we'll get into the specifics on our brand journey. You know, what Salesforce.com does to sales is what Coupa does to spend on both sides of the house. There's the sales side of the house and the spend side of the house. Like just Salesforce.com is a platform for all things revenue, CRM. Coupa is a platform for all things spend, BSM, business spend management. 
And simply put, we help organizations maximize the value of every dollar they spend through our platform. And we're helping organizations around the world, 3,000 plus, you know, drive efficiency for almost $5 trillion of spend today. If you look at GDP dollars, it's kind of the, the, you know, the fourth largest, third largest economy in the world today. And that's really the community we have built in terms of helping companies get visibility control, as well as managing all aspects of the spend from sourcing to contracts, to procurement, to invoicing, to expenses, to payments, to all sorts of other areas. In, in mm-hmm. spend. Right. Now, to answer your question on our brand journey, it's interesting. Six years is a, is, is a good time to Google Earth and reflect on the journey. And we beat this journey from building a great company to building a great brand. And that journey has taken us in different brand strategies, right? And if you are on the early parts of our journey as we have scaled and, and, and you know, high growth company in the early days, the, the philosophy of brand building is what I call contextual brand building. Um, it was not about, it's not about, it's not, it's not billboard centric, it's buyer centric. It's how do you build brand with the core persona that influences your deal? In our particular case, it is about understanding the essence of your brand and try to build association with that. And for example, for us, the essence of a brand, when you think safe, safety and cars, you think Volvo, right? It's not that when I tell you, you think Volvo, you think safety. When I think safety and cars, you think Volvo. Similarly, when a CFO wakes up in the morning and thinks, money, dollar, and visibility and control, think Cooper. So that's the essence of brand association we're trying to build. And that's the early part of the journey that we build to build that essence with the target buyer persona and using educational marketing as the big tactic for us to build brand. I'll talk about that more. That's been kind of the philosophy in the early part of the brand building. But as you've evolved into that, you know, almost a billion dollar ARR company, it's the power of and, not or here. We've done that and gone into more mainstream marketing also to build that kind of the next big brand and software and adopt that approach. In that approach, we have used brand association, but in a very thoughtful way. It's like, you know, we sports marketing, we partnered with the Yankees, but done it in a very thoughtful way. I can talk about that more later. But really, how do you, again, still sustaining that essence of your brand, whatever that is in our case, it's like visibility control dollar. And doing that in both techniques of building a brand through educational marketing and then scaling that brand through mainstream marketing. And that's been the journey and we can get into the details, but that's been kind of the the eras that we've gone through here. That's fantastic, Shander. And I really love that you're beginning in the beginning, meaning calling out the need to have that essence clear and then speaking to the activations. For a couple of moments, I'd like you please to double click on a term that in my research, I learned that you've coined the term is brand acquisition, and that seems to be at the intersection of this conversation, how we make yeah. brand work for us for client acquisition. Talk a little about that, please. Sure, sure, absolutely. I think, you know, the historical challenge has been in B2B especially, is it's not brand or revenue. It's how do you say brand to revenue, and brand acquisition is a way of thinking of every brand moment is an acquisition moment, and every acquisition moment can be a brand moment. And so how did that practically mean? It sounds really, you know, good. But I use that tactic of educational marketing to build brand and at the same time drive acquisition. So, for example, if you use thought leadership, very simply, we have a, you know, an article or, or a publication that we do with the Harvard Business Review and the Wall Street Journal of the Economist saying the strategic CFO in a rapidly changing world, right? Going after the core persona, right? And that's purely educational, nothing to do with you know, talking about Cooper and stuff like that. But when you have an asset like that that's got credibility, then you can go take that asset and promote it to every buyer person. In our case, happens to be the CFO. So that is a brand movement for somebody to know who Cooper is. 
But most importantly, that's also an acquisition moment that you're, you're teaching somebody to earn the right to engage. Nobody is going to give you time in today's world unless you're giving them something. And we're trying to teach them what other CFOs think to earn the right to engage. So that's the idea of brand acquisition where brand and acquisition doesn't have to be disjointed. But when you use tactics like educational marketing to be connected, Marketo built a whole brand on this mm -hmm. idea of as a CMO there and, and before me, that how did we use this tactic of educational marketing to do brand acquisition? So that's the tactic for companies in their growth journey when you where every dollar matters. That's a tactic you can do. And you can measure that very actively. And we can talk about that later on where that acquisition is actually is, is turning into revenue from, from this brand acquisition is turning into revenue. Shandra, let's put a pin in that because I definitely want to get back to how you reconcile that measurement, particularly with an eye to time horizons and how patient you are. So put a pin in that as we welcome our next huddler, Rashmi Vital, uh, the recent CMO of Productive, who has previously been on the show as well, as has Shandar, and the team is putting all the links to the prior episodes in the chat now. Hello, Rashmi. How are you? Where are you? Yeah, Margaret, great to talk with you today. Happy to be here. I'm in uh, sunny Half Moon Bay, California. Quotes around sunny because it's actually cloudy right now. So tell us a little about Productive. I know you're a SaaS management platform. Keep that succinct as we get to how you've built the brand efforts there, please, Rashmi. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about it, right, What's amazing is the proliferation of investment in SaaS applications has grown tremendously. If just alone between 2021 and 2023, we've seen a 32% increase in organizations investing in SaaS applications. With that, that means an increase in SaaS spend, even with today's tighter budgets and reduction in staffing. And so organizations need to be really vigilant on how they're spending on their SaaS applications now more than ever. And so what Productive really does is it gives the various stakeholders from IT, finance, procurement, and business leaders, the trusted data they need so they could come to the table together to make the critical decisions on how they can optimize on their SaaS spend. So we know that in today's world, we can't be making these types of decisions in a vacuum. And our, our core focus is to really bringing these teams to align them so that they know how to uh, you know, make uh, the, their future SaaS investment. So great backdrop. Busy space, very cluttered, lots of chatter in the SaaS realm. How do you build a brand? Tell us what you did. I know you recently engaged a project. Yeah, so we did this actually last year. And when within my first six months of joining Productive, now I have to say Productive is on a smaller scale in terms of compared to Simpler and uh, obviously Coupa. And so a lot of times you might think as a CMO, why would you on a small size company come in and even take on this type of initiative? You, shouldn't your focus be on other areas? What was really interesting to me is that when I led the strategic, it was a strategic brand initiative. And what I saw was the fact that every time I was talking to an executive or somebody in the company, they wanted something different out of marketing. And they, there was this urge to be able to elevate, really what it came down to was elevating our brand brand in, in the company. And so I, I really felt like in order to do anything from creating a new website to having integrated marketing campaigns to create the pitch deck for sales teams, we really had a focus on what is truly our brand, our brand story, starting with our vision, mission, the corporate story and the narrative. So I actually brought on a consultant, Fabius Michelle Herman, who's done multiple branding initiatives in her career to help me 
really drive and align this, this initiative across the organization. And we have Michelle in the studio, herself a seasoned marketer, most recently VP of marketing at Conviva. So Michelle, can you tell us a little bit how you thought about positioning the need to run that strategic marketing initiative and how you and Rashmi partnered to make sure it was attached to revenue? Yes. So first of all, thank you for having me. And I think Rashmi really set the stage or set the table, so to speak, very accurately. From the get-go, she had a very holistic and strategic approach to what brand meant. And the drivers behind it were all about growth and the business. So it wasn't brand for brand's sake. And I think oftentimes it's easy to get lost in the tactics of different elements of brand, a new logo, a new look and feel, you know, anything related to identity or even just a key message. But with Rushmi's approach, what we did is, first of all, went to kind of that essence of brand, looking at exploring truly what is productive's mission, vision, you know, value, the things that drive and motivate and inspire. The second piece to that was fleshing out a corporate narrative. And I don't think you can do one or the other in a vacuum. You have to have one as a core, the other informing, and they have to reinforce one another. And I think the key to success with Productive's project, and I'll let Rashmi respond here, is that yes, brand is very external focused, but it also has to resonate internally. It has to be incredibly authentic. And this project really inspired a terrific belief or a credo. And I'm going to pass it back to Rashmi to tell a little bit more about that, because that's really what helped, I think, invigorate the internal Productive team as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing to add here is that, you know, um, you can't do this in a vacuum, right? You have to have the strong partnership across your e-team and it starts with your CEO. And so, as I said, here I am joining this company, having conversations with my CEO, and he immediately understand the va- understood the value of running this whole project because he understood the downstream effects that it would have. So gaining CEO buy-in is very clear. Not only was he bought in, but he was also a great collaborator and thought partner throughout the process, so much so that as we were working together on what is our the vision, mission, and the kind of the brand story and, and narrative for the company, we we came across something that you can see throughout our whole marketing initiatives, right? You know, f- since since this initiated. And it was really around this, this, this common sense that in the external market, today to make decisions on your SaaS investments is truly a team sport. You have to bring procurement and IT and lines of businesses and finance and the CFO together so that you can make these types of really critical spend decisions. So that togetherness, that team sport came up with the credo of when teams align, great things happen. And that credo not only works so well externally, but also internally, because as a company, in order for you to grow and succeed, teams must be aligned and uh, teams must collaborate, teams must communicate. And oftentimes teams do that through um, not only a central vision and strategy, but also through data to help them understand what moves they need to make moving forward. And so this was one of the things where I've been able to see it happen, but it really did where the brand not only took off, like the brand credo and their messaging took off externally to the point where our competitors started copying us, which is always a great sign, 
but also internally where starting from the CEO on every meeting, every all hands, every conversation, all of our offices are from, from a visual identity to the credo, everything was, was wrapped around this whole notion of when teams align, great things happen. Okay, so thank you for that, uh, Rashmi. Again, we're going to park that question of how do you make sure you get the CEO alignment? In a moment, we're going to invite all three CMOs back to get to these questions. So in the spirit of speed on that one, Michelle, I'll invite you just to share one lesson learned, or Michelle, Michelle, please, from this, because it's evident you had a great partnership. If you could ever so briefly share the lesson learned in terms of working with a third party to help with the branding efforts. Yes, I think I'll raise ensuring that you identify the right internal stakeholders and not allowing each of them to participate in the decision making, but ensure that they have a voice and that they're heard. So whether it's creating a RACI or working very closely with the CEO, identify the additional stakeholders, engage with them. I spent time with them, Rashmi followed up with those who maybe were a little skeptical or had some hesitation in order to create alignment. Excellent. Thank you both. So lots of questions spurred by your early insights. I'm going to start with you, Shandar, because we touched on this idea of time. You know, you mentioned sponsorships. Um, implied in that is often the notion of a long-term investment. Talk to us about where time plays into this and how you think about attaching brand to revenue, because you've got the time, but you've got to spend the money now. Yeah. So you have to remember that, you know, you have to look at it, first of all, in different horizons. There's a horizon one, horizon two, right? You have to also remember that 98% of our buyers are not in the market today. I think there's a fallacy. We have over-rotated towards performance marketing where we think that every buyer is, in, in, is as intent right now and is in the market. It's not. 98% are not in the market today. And there's a whole adage which goes that, you know, it's not the TV ad that made Mary go to the supermarket. It's the empty box of cereal that did. But when Mary went to the supermarket, there was a brand recall problem saying, I really said, okay, I understand that this is a better thing for me to associate with, right? So you have to keep that in mind that we can over-rotate and shift towards only short-term intent. I'm going to go look at all intent. I'm going to look at whatever, the, you know, we all know the right software to use for intent and go, go, go drive contextual marketing for that. So you have to keep that balance. And now different companies at different stages have that. So that's why we look at it in Horizon 1 versus Horizon 2, right? Horizon 2... That, that mainstream band building, it is not solving tomorrow's today's revenue. It's for solving tomorrow's revenue. And at the same time, Horizon One, when we do this educational contextual marketing to the buyer persona, and this is marketing to CFOs in our case, where there are leads and opportunities that are already in the system, so they get awareness for that. That is very measurable in Horizon One. So that then how do you, so for example, for us, a procurement person can open the door, but ultimately when you climb up the ladder to win the deal and a CFO has to sign off, so he or she needs to know about us. So when mm -hmm. we know the deal, we do contextual marketing in Horizon 1 to that buyer persona and track that using that educational marketing playbook. And then Horizon 2 is the more mainstream marketing we've done with the Yankees and stuff like that's a longer play. But you need to keep that balance, otherwise you're going to order. You can't just play Horizon 2, your CFO is not going to like it because he's not going to measure it, he or she. You can't just do horizontal because that's myopic. And that's what a lot of brands have, have shifted towards, especially in B2B. So you have to keep that balance in my perspective. What's your sales cycle, Chandra? Because I think that can be relevant to a lot of our participants here. The length of sales cycle can influence this. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you're a company that operates in different segments, and, and so in the enterprise segment, our sales cycles are longer. In, in our corporate sales segment, sales cycle can be weeks to months. It can be slightly longer in enterprise sales segments. So we cater to both.
and in depend and also in regions it's it's different and stuff like that right and and so i think it can go from a few weeks to months and 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 that's the range in which we operate and sometimes in larger federal deals it's it's longer as we know right so we have the spectrum uh on, on the different segments that we do and, and but but it is that balance and but we are really able to tangibly measure a horizon 1 based on educational marketing horizon 2 we have association metrics that we so we directionally trending the right way shandra what are the metrics you track very specifically and i'm going to ask the same question of others if they have others that are different but first shandar yeah so i think if you look at uh, one metric in terms of horizon one i say horizon one like this is this was our in market uh-huh. are we building cultural brand building with the executive persona of the brand we can track specifically the amount of content that have engaged in how many marketing touches through our brand initiatives have we done to move the deal forward and ultimately close the deal and and yeah. what was the impact of that so there is something called roki return on content investment mm-hmm. as much as return on marketing investment so when i have when we spend $250,000 on an asset with the harvard business review we can exactly know that how many in market deals as it progressed in terms of influence and what impact it's gotten right and so that is you know the return on content that we measure when it comes to the mainstream i'll talk more about the yankees and what we're trying to do and stuff like that a very different approach than traditional mainstream marketing we track in terms of like in those particular regions are we seeing more inbound requests are we seeing more website impressions are you seeing more you know social coming in from those right so those are some of the things that we do for our more more mainstream metrics and the and the last thing i haven't touched on but i would like to pin and come back is the community aspect of it but we can talk about that later excellent so kristen rashmi any different metrics or consistent kristen i think pretty, mm-hmm. yeah i was going to say i think we're pretty consistent um although i will say the overall goals for any organization are one there's nuances there so if you think about chandar kupa new company under newer solution selling into a market we're in a situation where we actually are already in 9 out of 10 hospitals so i have to cross sell into those markets into those solutions so cross sell becomes a really important mm-hmm. kind of go to market motion for us not only is is that kind of a fundamental way we go to market we also then think about our engagement the other piece of this is we're selling kind of an old school approach if you will like a, a technology that's been around for some time in terms of the fact that there have been solutions out there for staffing and scheduling ours are just a little unique the reason that's important as my buyer is going to be need to have a level of confidence in their decision to maybe make a change in the solution that they currently have maybe upgrade to a new solution maybe think about adding more solutions to their portfolio all with simpler and so really helping to provide content materials in, in these scenarios where the buyers themselves are getting Uh, supported in terms of the decisions that they're making. And if you think about it, they've got massive decision complexity, so there's a lot of different news and information coming their way. We think about how do we streamline that? How do we avoid information overload? How do we help them understand really the value of what they're doing, kind of their outcomes that they yes. need to achieve listening to them? What are the outcomes you all are looking for and then how do we help you achieve those outcomes? I only call that out because that's just a sort of a nuance I think in every business you yeah. always need to be thinking about your customers outcomes but that's that's critical. I will say return on uh, return on investment and we talked about marketing investment. We also look at program investment as well um pretty heavily and so pulling into things like the events that we attend or even you know I mentioned that sports marketing are we receiving the 
return in terms of actually the number of opportunities that we're creating as well as the number of opportunities we're influencing. Super, super traditional, probably not blowing anyone's mind there. Um, I think we're all looking at that kind of stuff. Yeah, the classic metrics, appreciate that. Rashmi, pivoting a moment to sea level alignment. It's implicit in everything we're saying here that you must have that. For our listeners and viewers, can you earn it? Or does it have to be present when you join? In other words, can you train the sea level or do they have to believe in brand for this to be tenable conversation and to indeed make the investment? Yeah, great question. I I think it needs to be understood first with the CEO, because if it isn't going to be adopted from the, the person at the very top, then it's not going to be adopted throughout the organization. So if you have tight alignment with your CEO and you may have skepticism because you will have skepticism across your executive team, then that helps you gain um, buy-in. And buy-in does require multiple conversations. It requires, you know, different stages of, of involvement and making sure that people are feeling heard. And so we did that. And uh, actually, you know, speaking with, with my CEO had a very kind of clear conversation in terms of how we wanted to lay this out and, and how we wanted to communicate with people. Now, not only just across the executive team, but then we also communicated and made sure that we were talking to individuals in the organization. So from senior management to to individual contributors and and making sure that we were getting buy-in on this because we wanted to make that that so many times you hear about brand efforts that are launched that then fall flat. And uh, because we're a relatively small company, this is an area where we had to ensure that everybody was on board And so we did, but ultimately at the end of the day, the decision comes down to an understanding between the CEO and the CMO. You could hear so many feedback and so many opinions, but at the end of the day, it's it's my call with, with my CEO's alignment to make sure that we're on the right path. You know, Rashmi, that's so on point. I've talked to so many CMOs, we work with many, and I'd like to highlight a couple of things you said because they're quite profound. One is you have to have a great process for people to feel heard. So the outcome is predicated on the process. The buy-in is predicated on the process. So it sounds like you had that in spades. And also this idea that arguably the CEO has to have that religion out the gate, or it's really hard to to go up against um, an alternative viewpoint. Chandra, can you maybe address that briefly, but also speak to the tech. Do you have tech? that helps you manage the metrics. Obviously you are um, of a large scale. Yeah, I mean, going back to the point, I mean, definitely the CEO's mindset um, is, is very critical. I think there's a triangle of trust when it comes to brand building that we need to think about. That is the CEO, the CFO, and the CMO, right? And that's the triangle of trust. Now, obviously the CEO has to align and the CEO's viewpoint on brand and some CEOs of viewpoint that brand is, I want to put the biggest billboard out there for the biggest thing in Chicago airport. But then you have to have an obligation to dissent and say, why does it really actually build brand awareness contextually to what you're trying to go drive revenue to, right? And so the CEO has a perceived conception of uh, per- per- perception of what brand is. So you have to kind of align on that. What does the CEO think of what brand building really means, right? And then the CFO obviously is important because for you to get the continued support, that is this thing actually being empirically, uh, you know, uh, ch- uh, you know, impactful. So I, mean, I think that's why the triangle of trust, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. is important for us to go look at it from that perspective, right? Going back to your question on, on technology, I think that's why I said we have 
you know, there's, there's, there's two things, right? I, I think there's, for, for in looking at technology impact of, we have the technologies in terms of our website, in terms of our customer pulse, in terms of you do win analysis, loss analysis to understand how brand paid an impact on it. So we have technologies on, on those pieces. The one other piece I feel that companies don't do enough, and I think you have to have a certain set of scale to do it, is to do an annual brand survey. And you can hire organizations to do that. And that really gets you aided and unaided awareness on where you are progressing the, the, the needle. Because ultimately for you, you can look at in your inbound and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of who's coming in. And then that as a result, you can go drive that. But really as you, and all the efforts you're doing in your mainstream brand building, is it actually moving the needle? So if you can establish a baseline through this, you know, the brand awareness study and then go figure out like how much is it moving the needle? Now you don't have to do it every year. Maybe it's once in 18 months. But I think I highly recommend that because we've done that and surely shows both an aided and unaided, how are we doing that? And I would say that's different than the regular technology stuff we do for those in market. Yeah, such a great point. And also the storytelling around it, how you position what we've yeah. done to affect the brand awareness or consideration as it were. Kristen, yours is a very interesting situation because it comprises simpler, a combination of various companies, and it's a context that a lot of our listeners and viewers find themselves in. Is there anything particular there that you want to highlight in terms of leadership and different entities bringing them along and or the measurement component? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you, when you think about it and you're bringing all of these different brands together, it's not just the leadership of, of Simpler, but it's also the leadership in the customers as well, where, you know, you're building trust, they, you're kind of, hey, I'm the new guy on the block, welcome, you know, getting those early pieces of communication up and out, and then regular ongoing communication with those customers is absolutely critical. I couldn't agree more the, with what Chandar and Rashmi were talking about in terms of the alignment on the executive team. We actually have really kind of leaned into that from our own ELT. We think about a, an, organ, or a, an author called Lencioni who talks about healthy, healthy conflict. And so that notion that my CFO and I, we have a relationship, he helps protect me from an investment perspective. And we're constantly in contact in terms of how are we and where are we investing. But at the same time, there is some healthy conflict between our, the sales leader, the marketing leader, the product leader. And that's okay, but we've spent a lot of time working through those relationships to really make sure we have the, the trust with one another so we can have those conversations. And is the CFO also involved in the measurement, in, a, in deciding what you track and in the technology and the reporting, or does your organization do the actual reporting? Yeah, it's a great question. We've actually... So we have a revenue operations team, we have marketing operations, and we also do have our financial team. And when we build out our metrics and we talk and think about how and what we're going to track, number one, that's really led by myself and the marketing team. We also want to do it in a way that for, first and foremost, we're consistent. We're not changing on a regular basis. Whatever your metric is, we're picking it, we're setting it, and we're sort of sticking to it. So we've got that baseline. But I will tell you, as we build out those metrics, bet I've got revenue operations and finance at the table. So there's full agreement. Yep. This is the right metric to track. We agree with how you're tracking it. It's more of just kind of a, a partner that is going to weigh in rather than actually sort of saying, Hey, we want you to actually track these specific metrics. I think if we weren't tracking any metrics, they probably would, would have a pretty big point of view on that. 
Excellent. That sounds best practice for sure, Kristen. Now I want to spend a moment on brand valuation. Chandra, I'll, I'll kick the ball to you first. We've, we've talked a lot about very near-term revenue, arguably, in the branding programs and how the metrics support opportunity generation and sales. Do you ever think about brand as a driver of the business from an asset standpoint and brand valuation? I suspect you might because you referenced the study of brand and surveying your brand every year. Yeah, I think that is one aspect of looking at it. But ultimately, to me, the success of a brand is a, is a few things. And I look at the value of the brand. If you've created a category or in your category, if you establish yourself as the leader and you've built a community, a cult, a community, a tribe and, and a community that everybody wants to be part of this cool club, that's really successful. That's really success as a brand. And, and that's why to me, and, I, and you think of brand building as, OK, I'm really trying to give. It's not just about billboard bill, billboards and advertising and stuff like that. You have to think about ultimately the game for any software company is, can I get category leadership and can I get community activation? If I can achieve that together, then that's really the essence of victory in a brand. Like I can tell you, Marketo was a brand that was built on building the marketing nation. But when we did it, it's about, right, you know, it's about, it's not, we were selling marketing automation. What they were buying was marketing nation. I want to be part of this community. So that's the success of the brand. And similarly, Coupa is a brand that we've said, hey, it's not about just, you know, spending money or getting efficiency. It's about having this community. And our competition was talking about the network. We were talking about the community. You know, networks don't communicate, don't engage. Communities engage with each other. You know, so that to me, that the essence of brand building is have you created category leadership and have you created a community that's vibrant? That's the way I would essentially measure success in all these efforts. Yeah, and in my experience, having been at Siebel Systems when we created the CRM category, that was exactly it. How do you create category leadership and community activation? You expressed it so well there. Of course, there continues to be that tension. I want to make sure we address it robustly around sales, revenue, and timely activation manifest in making the cash register ring, essentially. So I want to ask all of you, maybe Rashmi will jump in first. How do you ensure consistency between your brand work, the brand messaging that's in marketing the community, and what the sales team is doing? Yeah, it was paramount to our initiative and what you see today, and very much so spearheaded with uh, through through marketing with tight collaboration with sales and the CS team. I think your whole go-to-market function has to be tied together on this, and we did this through taking the brand story and narrative informed but also was integrated into all aspects sure of marketing but also into our sales process and approach as well as our cs delivery and we did this through creating a what we call a, a value selling playbook a unified messaging framework that took our core values of, of what we deliver to a customer and then making sure that that how you present that in a sales process was tightly integrated. And then what, what the team is continuing to work on is how do we make sure that that value translates into verified outcomes that CS teams can consistently deliver on as you acquire new customers, as you grow existing customers, um, as, and as you, and as you uh, continue to turn them into advocates. So the advocacy part, I'd say, is something that Productive hasn't yet fully kind of invested in, You've just kind of given the, the stage of where it's at. But that is next on the horizon is to build more of that community and advocacy. 
You touched on advocacy, and that reminds me of another stakeholder community, employees. A lot of our discussion so far has been very direct, revenue, sales, and the stakeholder, vitally so, the customer. Kristen, anything you would add around the value and the thoughtfulness around brand work to activate and engage employees? Is it part of your remit? How do you think about it? Oh my gosh, 100%. It, I'm a huge fan of activating the employees. It, they're right there. They, they're they excited about what you're doing. Like we're sporting our, our simpler shirts. Like there's no better community who than the actual teams that you're working with to really get excited about your brand. Of course, we're all aligned around the customer as well. So even before I think you can really go out and activate the employees, it's figuring out what are the big three, two, four kind of customer themes that are going to resonate with my customers. What are the problems I'm trying to solve for them? With that, though, here, I mean, at Simpler, we have done things like there's, there's actually technology that we have bought and employed. We've got it up on our intranet. So our employees can easily share content on their LinkedIn, on their different social channels. We've really taken that approach to help build an awareness, a broad awareness with our 2000 employees kind of across the market. And it's really helped. So if you think about it, you know, every day we're putting content out that our employees can easily share and communicate and their network is even bigger than just little, you know, kind of our corporate network. So we really try to empower them, leverage their with technology, with education, making sure they really understand kind of those core value theme, brand themes as well, and then activating them so they can go off and you know, spread the word. Got it. Got it. There are many, many questions coming in. We will not get to all of them today, but I know Drew, Drew and CMO Huddle Studio has many other shows planned. So please stick with us. Okay, we're getting towards the end. I've been thinking about a few synthesis remarks, but before I do that, I want to honor Drew. As we all know, Drew is a big Ben Franklin fan. So I thought about this, did a little research and said to myself, what would Ben Franklin say to this topic of brand and revenue? And I think he would say, he that can have patience can have what he will. Now, we have three very patient CMOs, but also three very pragmatic CMOs. So I'm going to ask you very quickly, please, final words of wisdom for our illustrious audience, starting with Chandar, please. I think I would say two things. One is think brand acquisition, right? Don't think of brand as separate from acquisition. I would have said that. I would do that. And number two, think life cycle. Do not think brand building is only for getting upfront revenue. Think the power of community in brand building and how do you invest in community for brand building. And that can be a great asset for you because ultimately your best sellers are your customers who can drive deal acceleration and influence new revenue. So think of brand as a continuous 360 exercise in the existing install base as much as it is for your getting prospects in. Those are the two things I would say. And, and well done is better than well said. So start doing it, as Frank, as, as Frank and Franklin would say. That's a Franklinism. I heard it right there. So, Kristen, final words of wisdom, please. Honestly, I think the biggest piece of, of advice I would have is that at the end of the day, we're marketing to humans. I mean, in business to business, we can get a little bit stuck in the fact that, oh, it's a business. We can talk really corporate. But the people that are reading our content, that are associating with our brand, it's you, it's me. It's kind of like, so recognizing that business to human kind of moment is so critical. 
And then if you do that well, set the systems in place to set a goal, measure your goal, and then beat your goal. And someone who's always beating her goals, Rashmi. Yeah, I would say brand, think of brand as purpose, but it's essentially the heartbeat of the company. If you embrace it, you embrace your market, you know you understand your market and you can resonate with your market and you embrace it internally. It's that synergy of bringing the external and internal together that can help drive drive you forward. So thank you, Shanda, Rashmi, and Kristen. And in listening to you, I thought I might supplement with, with a few comments. It's clear to all of us that over the past decade, performance marketing, demand generation, sales enablement has dominated the conversation in B2B. And I think that's at the expense of brand building. The prevailing view was direct marketing attached directly to revenue. Arguably, a number of brands, with some notable exceptions, have over-rotated on that at the expense of value creation. Look, Shandar and others touched on it. Here's the thing. At any point in time, fewer than 90% of your market or more is not in market to buy your product at that point in time. So therefore, to get the attention of that audience, you need to connect with them emotionally. Brand programs, brand messages tend to attach to people at an emotional level such that when they're in market to procure your services, you are top of mind. And as all three of you mentioned, that's the goal, to be discoverable, to have educated your market, to have been visible such that when that purchase decision is timely, you are a choice provider. Studies support this, but we have intuited. In fact, I turn everyone's attention to the LinkedIn Institute, Chandra touched on it, Mark Ritson, Field and Burnett, Ernberg Bass Institute, and the mid-June issue of the illustrious Harvard Business Review, where Jim Stengel and fellow authors talked about the importance of brand, measuring the value of brand, and the fact that it's a false economy to neglect brand. So as you can see, I have a lot of passion for the topic, truly an honor and great insight to hear from all of our CMO huddlers this afternoon. I invite you all to join Drew. He'll be back in two weeks with another show, and he's going to be talking about the first 90 days. Feel free to follow me on LinkedIn because I'm a marketer and we gotta always have that call to action. Thank you everyone and have a wonderful rest of day. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.